Well, I uh, want to introduce a couple of people. Uh, ben Starks has been here uh, leading worship, and uh, for a lot of you, you know Ben, but uh, some of you that are, uh, have uh, come just in the last year or so, Ben Starks and uh, Dana King were our original worship leaders here at uh, Crosspoint and guided us through that first year. And uh, Ben now is uh, married and living in Orlando and uh, working as part of the worship staff at Journey Church there. And Ben, thanks for coming back. It's just great to have you here today. I love you, man. So it's good to have you. And then I want to uh, introduce somebody that probably will be new to most all of you. Uh, we're honored today to have as our guest speaker uh, Dave Faust, who is the president of uh, Cincinnati Christian University, uh, where I uh, graduated with a lo- graduated from a long time ago. I realized uh, last night as we were talking, much longer than I had realized until that conversation. And uh, it's an honor to have Dave, and uh, Dave has uh, been involved in uh, kingdom work in a lot of different ways, Uh, but here's what I want to say to him about him as he comes today. When I uh, graduated from Cincinnati Christian University a number of years ago, um, I have always been a proud alumnus of my school, but to be honest, those uh, first uh, quite a few years after I left the school, there was really nothing going on there that I was really dramatically excited about. But uh, when Dave became the president six years ago and began to... uh, lead the school in a a certain direction, I have to tell you, I got excited again about the direction that the school is moving in, its kingdom impact, and about Dave's leadership. And so I'm really excited to have him here today. Uh, I know that his uh, casual style of communicating fits right into our culture, and so I know you're going to really enjoy him. And uh, I told him in first service, uh, since Dave came to the school, I've actually been paying my alumni dues. So that was a... Come, Dave, and share with us. Kevin, let me say one more thing. God, just on Dave's behalf, uh, Dave and Candy have a plane to catch today, and you guys can identify with that. And so when he's finished speaking this morning, he's not being rude, but he literally is going to go right out the door and get to the airport so he doesn't miss his flight. And I don't want a speeding ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. It is great to be with you here at Crosspoint today. I've been so impressed with your congregation today. And isn't it great to be part of an exciting new work where the Lord is at work? Isn't it good to be part of an exciting church like this one? I hate to tell you, but not every church around the country is exciting these days, if you haven't discovered that. In fact, you know there's a town in Oregon called Boring. Can you imagine living in a town? B-O-R-I-N-G. It sounds just like the way it's spelled. Can you imagine living in a town called Boring? I thought that was the funniest name for a town I'd ever heard of. Until I actually visited there and found out they take their town very seriously in Boring, Oregon. In fact, you can Google it and get on their website and read all about Boring, Oregon. They have different categories you can click on and read about boring businesses, boring real estate. I'm not making this up. There's even a category on their website called Boring People. There's a boring middle school. You imagine sending your kids off to boring middle school every day. I got to wondering, wonder if there's a boring Christian church. Can you imagine being part of Boring Christian Church, trying to invite your friends to come with you to hear your boring preacher give another boring sermon, you know? Well, there actually is a a little book called A Directory of the Ministry that lists Christian churches just like Crosspoint all across the nation. I got it out and looked it up, and sure enough, you have a sister church in Boring, Oregon. But it isn't called Boring Christian Church. I love this. You know what it's called? Abundant Life Christian Church in Boring. Well... Those folks have got it right because it is not boring to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus came not to be a boring religious lecturer, but so that he could bring us abundant life. 
In fact, he was such a down-to-earth, enjoyable speaker that the Bible says that the common people heard him gladly. They listened to him gladly. And even little kids liked Jesus, and he liked them too. In fact, Jesus had them come and he blessed them and prayed for them and encouraged them. One time, according to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' disciples came and asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus illustrated his answer in a very surprising way. He called a little child and had him stand in the midst of them. And Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, why did Jesus use a child to illustrate what he wants us to be like in his kingdom? If you've been around kids a lot, like I have, you know that kids are expensive, they are time-consuming, they are messy. You heard the old proverb that says, cleanliness is next to godliness. If you have little kids around, cleanliness is next to impossible. Kids are a lot of trouble. Jesus doesn't want us to be childish, but he wants us to be childlike. Why? Why would he pick kids? And say, be like that. Well, for one thing, children are incredibly valuable. It's hard to think of anything that we treasure more than our children. Now, my wife Candy, who's here with me today, she's sitting right back there in the corner. Candy and I have three grown children. When you marry somebody named Candy, you have to have M&Ms for kids. So we have Matt, Michelle, and Melinda. They're all grown up now, and we've added a son-in-law. And you know what they say about fathers and our daughters? We give our daughters away to marry guys who aren't good enough for them so that we can have grandchildren that are better than everybody else's. And so now we have two sweet granddaughters, Abby and Kayla, age five and age three. And let me tell you, I am not a perfect father by any means, but I love my kids. If you want to tell me what's valuable in my life, I would, or ask me what's valuable in your life, I would say my kids, my grandkids. It's hard to think of anything I treasure more than that. Jesus compares us to children, and in there is a hint of the incredible value that we have before God. It's like John wrote in 1 John chapter 3 when he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has for us, that we should be called the sons of God. Maybe Jesus had in mind that children are curious and teachable. Don't you love that about kids? They're always asking questions. They want to know how things work and why. My youngest daughter, Melinda, when she was a young child, she was always the one filled with questions, you know. We'd sit out on the front porch on a summer night and she'd say, Dad, what do lightning bugs do during the day? I don't know. I'd have to make something up, honey. They rest their little light bulbs so they'll be nice and strong for tonight, you know. How can the birds sit up on that wire and not electrocute themselves? I don't know. I never thought about that. You know, My favorite question that she asked me was when I was going on a mission trip to Ethiopia. And I gathered the family together and I said, I want you to pray for Daddy because I'm going clear to the other side of the world. Their eyes got real big. I said, it's so far away, I'm going to be on a plane for about 24 hours flying clear over to Africa. And Melinda, she was maybe eight years old, and she looked puzzled. And I said, honey, don't you understand? What, why are you, what don't you understand about this? She said, Dad, the earth rotates on its axis. I said, yes. She said, why couldn't you just go up in a helicopter and just hover until the earth turned? You could come down and... I I still don't know exactly how to answer that one. (laughs) But I love the fact that she was curious and wanted to know. Now, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and I've noticed that a lot of us, as we get a little older, 
we have this tendency to say, you know, I've kind of learned all I'm going to learn. I do things the way I do them. I know what I know. I like what I like. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do anything anymore. And I want to tell you, I want to resist that. Because the older I get, I still want to have a childlike trust in God. I still want to have a curiosity about the Lord. I don't know about you, but every time I open the Bible, I still find all these things I thought, I didn't know that was in there. I want to know more about God and His Word and His will. I want to know more about His relationship with me. I want to know more about how to serve Him. I never want to outgrow that childlike curiosity and teachableness that we see in a child. Maybe Jesus had in mind that children are hopeful. You know, the older you get, you don't look forward to your birthday anymore. But kids are excited. Oh, you ask my granddaughters how old they are. They're not five and three. They're five and a half and three and a half. They are eager for those new birthdays to come. They look forward to Christmas. They're excited about the future. They're looking forward to what they will become when they grow up. I never want to lose that as a child of God. But what we know for sure is the main reason Jesus said we should be like children is because children are humble and trusting. The Bible tells about a time when Jesus went into the temple in Jerusalem and he cast the money changers and the merchants out of there. Now, they had turned the house of God into basically a shopping mall. And Jesus, in righteous anger, went in there and cast these guys out. And there were two groups of people, one who liked what he did and one who disliked what he did. The people who liked what Jesus did were the children. The children, the Bible says, praised him they, they saw in his righteous, holy anger and courage the right thing. They saw that he was the Son of God. They praised him and said, Hosanna to the Son of David. But there was another group of people in the temple who did not like what Jesus did. The religious leaders. They criticized Jesus and they said, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus, in reply, said, yes, have you never read? Now, when Jesus says, have you never read? I want to make sure I go back and read what he's talking about. Jesus said, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? That's in Matthew 21, 16. But he's quoting from a very important passage. In fact, this is going to be my text for the rest of my message this morning. Jesus was quoting from Psalm 8. Now, the, the Psalms are quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. And Psalm 8 is quoted more than any other Psalm. It must be a very important chapter of God's Word. It's the Psalm that begins by saying, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it ends the same way. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a beautiful psalm. And in between verse 1 and verse 9, like bookends that begin and end this wonderful chapter of God's Word, in between David, who wrote this psalm, and Jesus quoted it, he reveals three very important facts that we need to accept with childlike faith. First, we need to understand and believe with childlike faith, God created you for a reason. David wrote here in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Now let's stop there and think about that. Children instinctively know there is a creator who put in place the moon and the stars and the earth. I have never had to argue with a little child about Genesis 1-1, the first verse in the Bible that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Children just instinctively know that there had to be a creator who made these things. I heard about two atheists who were tucking their son into bed at night 
And as they kissed him goodnight, he looked up at them and he said, Mom and Dad, do you think God knows we don't believe in him? Little children just know there is a God. And King David, who wrote Psalm 8, knew that there was a God from the time he was a young shepherd boy tending sheep in the hills around Bethlehem. And he would be out there under a starry night looking up at the heavens. And he realized in his heart of hearts that there had to be a God who made these things. He knew enough, even though he didn't have a telescope like we do, we can see way more of the heavens than they could see in those days. But he could see enough to know that the heavens are the work of God's fingers. Isn't it interesting in this chapter, he does not say what we would expect. We would expect him to say the heavens are the work of God's hands. But he doesn't. He says they're the work of God's fingers. God crafted the universe with the same kind of careful craftsmanship and artistry that a musician uses when he finger picks a guitar or an artist uses when she paints a beautiful painting. The fingers of God made the universe and those same fingers of God made you. In Psalm 139, David wrote, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And to say that God knits you together in your mother's womb is a perfect way to describe it because DNA filaments are actually woven together in a spiral shape. God's fingers have woven amazing complexity into every cell of your body. In fact, the DNA in just one tiny fertilized human egg contains more carefully coded information than a whole stack of encyclopedias. And yet the DNA filaments necessary to specify every unique human being alive today would weigh only about one-fifteenth the weight of a postage stamp. You are not an accident of nature. You are an amazing creation of God. God created you for a reason. Now, there's a lot about that that I cannot explain. But the older I get and the more I know about the world, the more sense it makes to me to believe and embrace that fact with childlike faith. Now, David goes on in Psalm 8 to show not only did God create you for a reason, but second, God cares about you with a passion. He wondered in verse 4, when I consider your heavens, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Do you ever feel really insignificant? Do you ever look up into the heavens and just think, if this world is this huge, this universe is so large, then why do I matter in it? That's what he was expressing here. Now, I'm a college football fan. In fact, most college sports I really enjoy, basketball, football, and that kind of thing, and Um, I grew up in Ohio, so you're going to have to forgive me. I'm an Ohio State football fan. And, uh, oh, there are a few of you out there. Good. That's all right. Um, So when you grow up in Ohio and you like Ohio State, you learn there's a team north of the border up in Michigan that you just can't stand. You know, every year Ohio State plays Michigan in November, and at least half the time I come away really disappointed. (laughs) And so my wife, who is not a sports fan but is a good sport, understands my addiction to college athletics. So when we drove through Ann Arbor, Michigan, I said, Candy, you've got to humor me. I've got to see that stadium where the University of Michigan plays and every other year Ohio State plays there. This was in August. We were on vacation driving through Ann Arbor, Michigan. I said, Candy, let's find the stadium. I just want to go in and just see it. It's this, they call it the big house. Seats 110,000 people on game day. I just got to see this place. She said, okay. So we stopped, found the stadium. I ran up. There was this big old 
great big strapping tall security guard standing by the gate. Found out the place was under construction and they weren't allowed to let anybody in. But I said, oh, sir, I've come a long distance to see this. Isn't there any way you could let me in for just five minutes? And he looked down at me and he said, where are you from? (laughs) Well, I couldn't lie. So I said, I'm from Ohio. And he looked at me like I had just confessed a terrible sin. But he said, I'll let you in for five minutes. So he opened the gate. Candy and I went in there and... I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so excited to see this huge place. I thought, oh, wow, look at me in here. And I, got, I asked Candy to take a picture of me in the stadium. And if you look really, really closely, you can see in that enormous place, there I am, I'm all excited, waving, you know. We have this old camera. We took it home, got the film developed. When I got this picture back, I looked at that picture and I thought, what an idiot I am. I thought, to think that my presence in that enormous stadium made one bit of difference at all. This was such a big deal to me. And then I looked at it and I thought, this is a huge place. And I'm just a tiny little speck in it. But then there are over 6 billion people on planet Earth today. What makes me think that my presence makes any difference at all? There are over 300 million people in the United States today. And I'm just one of those puny little taxpayers. On the college campus where I work every day, we have over 1,100 students and faculty and staff and guests and people come and go. And I'm just one person there. What difference does my life make? I'm just a little speck. And so are you. Do we dare think, as David says in this psalm, That God, the the creator of the universe, is mindful of us. He used a very interesting word there. What is man that you are mindful of him? Isn't that an interesting word? You You might think that God once in a while would think about you. That'd be great. When you pray, maybe he thinks about you then. Or on your birthday, every year, once in a while, you know, he thinks about you then. But do we dare think? That the God of heaven has a mind full of thoughts about us? Could he care about us that much in light of all the other things he has going on? Yes. In fact, Jesus said that God knows us in such great detail that even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, some of us are making it easier for God to count. But the fact is, he knows us and cares about the very details of our lives. Wow. He knows what you're going to face this week, and he cares about that. He knows the pressure you're under, family problems and economic challenges and problems at work, illnesses and all kinds of stress. And he knows and he cares. You know the amazing thing about the love of God? He even has you on his mind when you aren't thinking about him. In fact, when the last thing in the world you want to care about is God and what he thinks and what he wants, he still cares about you then. Even when you're running in the opposite direction from him, he has you on his mind. His mind is filled with thoughts of you. His mind was certainly filled with thoughts of you when his son Jesus went to the cross and died for you. Even when we're lost in sin when we're running from God and almost trying to deny His very existence and His claim on our lives, even then He has us on His mind. 
One time in the church where I preached, I was sitting in the second row getting ready to speak. It was around Christmas time, and we had a beautiful worship service that day. The music was just beautiful. But it was hard for me to concentrate because there was a guy sitting right behind me in the row behind me who was making a racket the whole time. He had this kind of loud, harsh, raspy voice, and he was talking right out loud all through the music. And all through communion, they were passing communion, and even then he was talking. And I thought to myself, I have to admit, I thought to myself, what is wrong with this guy? Doesn't he know how to act in church? And I got myself collected and got up and preached that day, and I talked about the love of God. It was Christmas time, so I talked about why Jesus came and the love of God shown in Bethlehem as Jesus came to be our Savior. It was a very basic message about Christ. And at the end of the message, that Sunday we had everybody stand and sing a song and I invited anyone who wanted to accept Christ as their Savior and Lord to come forward. And this guy who had been sitting behind me kind of awkwardly stepped out into the aisle and he walked forward. I took his hand, talked with him a little bit, and you know what I discovered as I got to know him? His name was Jim. Jim really didn't know how to act in church because he'd never been in a church before, at least not one like this. And the reason he was making noise through the service is he was just asking what was going on. His adult daughter had brought him as her guest and she was sitting next to him and so he kept turning and saying, what are these songs about? Why are they passing around these little trays with that little piece of cracker in there and that little cup of juice? Am I supposed to do this? What does it mean? He really wanted to know. And as I got to know Jim and had the chance to teach him some more and baptize him into Christ, see him begin to walk with the Lord, you know what I realized? I was the one who didn't know how to act in church. I should have been filled with compassion for that guy. Because God has men like Jim on his mind all the time. He loves people who don't really know what church is about, but would like to know God and would like to understand that their sins are forgiven who would like to know they're on their way to heaven when they die. God loves people like Jim. I wonder if we begin to grasp His love, how it would change the way we treat other people. I cannot explain a love like God's for people like me who have done wrong things, who have not always been mindful of Him, and yet He's always had me on His mind. I cannot explain that, but I embrace it and I'm thankful for it. With childlike faith, I know it's true. There's one more thing I want you to see here in Psalm 8. God created you for a reason. God cares about you with a passion. But the third thing that we see is God calls you to a mission. Psalm 8 continues and it says, You made him ruler over the works of your hand. David's saying this to God. You created mankind and then you made us rulers over the things you made, Lord. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. God has made us rulers over the works of His hands. He wants us to take care of His things. Now that's an amazing thing, that God would look at people like you and me and say, I want you to take care of my stuff for me. Do you ever have somebody trust something really important to you for you to take care of it? Candy and I lived in New York for 10 years. I ministered with a church there and While I was working with that church, I got a phone call from a guy in Arizona, a retired man, who said, I'm driving to New York and I'm going to leave my car somewhere while I fly 
to Europe for the summer and work with a mission group. I thought that was neat. He said, I'm just calling you to ask if you would take care of my car for me over the summer. I said, sure. So he drove over from Arizona, dropped off his car. We took him to the airport. He flipped me the keys. And before he left for the summer, he flipped me the keys and he just said, here, feel free to drive my car while I'm gone. Now, I failed to mention that his car that he was driving at that time was a brand new Lincoln Continental. My car that I was driving at that time was a 1978 Ford Fiesta. I decided I would drive his car a little bit. But you know what? I was very careful how I drove it. Wouldn't let the kids eat french fries in the back seat of his car. Didn't want to get a scratch on his car because it wasn't mine. I actually was more careful with that vehicle because I knew it was his than I would have been if I thought it was mine. Now listen, the Lord God has given us all kinds of incredible blessings. They are not ours. They are His. We take care of them on His behalf. And we have a mission to be good stewards, good caretakers of what He has given to us until He comes back and takes us home. Now, you might be having trouble relating to this, though, because in Psalm 8, it says that God's put under our feet things like flocks and herds and beasts and birds and all that. And you may be like me. I live in a city. I do not have any sheep grazing in my lawn. So how does this apply to me? How do I have flocks under my care? And then you know what? I thought about that. And you know what I realized? The Bible says God's people are the sheep of his pasture. And I suddenly realized I have a whole lot of sheep to worry about. I have a whole lot of sheep under my care. Remember those little granddaughters? They crawl up under my knee and they'll believe anything I tell them. I'd better tell them the truth and guide them and point them the right way. If you are a parent, you better believe you have sheep. If you're a grandparent, you have little lambs that you can influence and point in the right direction. If you are a small group leader in this church, if you are a Christ follower who out in the work world or in your school where you go, you have friends who know that you go to this church, you're part of the family of God, then you better believe you have sheep. You have a mission to take care of those people and help them and guide them and point them in the right direction, to be a steward of what God has invested in you. It is your mission in life. I cannot comprehend why the God of eternity would have a co-mission for us. But he does. He's our partner. And we got his business to carry out this coming week. There's so much that I don't understand about God. But I'll tell you this, the older I get, the more it makes sense to me to trust in him with childlike faith. How about you? I remember when I was a kid, I have two older brothers, my parents, we lived on a farm. My parents would get us in their car. We'd uh, head out in my dad's old Galaxy 500. My brothers and I would get in the back seat and he and my mom would drive. We'd go out somewhere in the evening and on the way back, I'd usually fall asleep. There was something really peaceful about that because I could hear my mom and dad talking in the front seat and I could trust them. My dad was a good driver. and I would just drift off to sleep and snooze all the way home. And then as we started to head toward our house, I could hear the crunch of the gravel under the tires as we pulled into our old farmhouse driveway. And I'd wake up, but I pretended that I was still asleep. Dad called it playing possum because I loved what happened next. Dad would stop the car turn off the ignition, it'd be this quiet little moment. I'd hear him say, looks like the boys are asleep, mother. 
He'd open up the back seat door and reach in with his big, strong farmer's hands and get me under my armpits and lift me up on his shoulder and carry me up to bed. I loved that. He'd just pat me, put me in bed and pat me on the head and say, it's okay, son, you're home now. You're home. I love looking back on that, what it was like to be a child in the loving hands of my father. And I think that's a little bit what it's like for us as Christians and even when we die. We can trust our Father with the journey and we can trust Him with the journey's end. And when we take our last breath, He's going to lift us up and just say, it's okay, child, you're home now. You're home. I don't know about you, but I want to keep trusting Him I never want to outgrow a childlike faith. He created you for a reason. He cares about you with a passion. He has called you to a mission. Will you trust Him with your life? Let's pray. Father, thank You for being our Father, for loving us with an incomprehensible love. Indeed, as the Scripture says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You deserve all praise and glory. Help us, Lord, this coming week to have childlike faith, not to be cynical, not to be hard-hearted, not to be questioning you and your judgment and your will. Help us, Lord, to believe in the depths of our hearts that you really have our best interests at heart at all times. Help us to love other people as You have loved us. And Lord, as Your children, today we praise and thank You in Jesus' name. And we commit ourselves to You. Amen.